We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight, we're looking at the Firefly episode, Shindig. Another bar, another bar fight. It's just another day for the (laughs) captain of the Serenity. Heading in from the wildest frontier, the Serenity is making a stop on Persephone. And pretty much everyone except Mal is looking forward to some time on the ground. Inara is lining up customers, or at least one customer, for the entire stay. And she'll be attending the biggest social shindig of the day while she's there. Mal just doesn't like the way she conducts business, and not only is he unable to not show that to Inara, later he also takes it out on poor innocent Kaylee when she remarks how beautiful a dress is she sees in a shop window and compares it to how beautiful Inara's clothes are. Mal is captured by Badger, a local crime boss he's had prior dealings with. Or has he? See Firefly heading, episode order, subheading, controversy. (laughs) Badger wants Mal to do a smuggling job, which, since Mal is a smuggler, seems quite a fitting relationship. It seems, however, that Badger has a problem. He's a bit of a lower-class citizen and cannot make the connection with a prospective client. Mal, being a stuck-up arrogant fellow, should fit right in. Mal agrees. He is to meet the prospective client at the very same ball that Inara is attending. He'll need a date, though, and so despite his absolutely horrid comments to Kaylee about her and the dress she fell in love with, Mal buys it for her and takes her to the ball. At the ball, Kaylee experiences what it's like to be the new girl at a posh high school in a 1980s teen comedy movie. (laughs) The bitches are bitches to her, until she's rescued by a kindly old man. Soon Kaylee is the hit of the spaceship nerd guys who just really love a girl who knows her way around an engine. Meanwhile, Mal isn't doing so well. The contact isn't that interested in doing business with him until Mal gets annoyed with Inara's paying customer, Atherton, and hits him. Silly old Mal didn't realize he's just metaphorically backhanded him with a white glove and agreed to sabers at sunrise where honor will be served. One positive note, the prospective business contact hates Atherton too, and should Mal prevail, he'll let Mal be his smuggler. He's quick to point out, though, Mal won't prevail. Atherton is the finest swordsman in all the land, because of course he is. Mal knows nothing about sword fighting, although Inara tries to help him, but he just can't help being an ass to her, repeatedly. The next morning, Mal gets his butt handed to him on a plate. Inara pleads with his life, offering herself permanently to Atherton, but Mal uses the distraction to beat Atherton, although I'm thinking that's probably cheating. Mal doesn't kill him, leaving him disgraced forever, and he gets his smuggling job, taking cows to the market. Alright, shindig, shindig, shindig. I I have all sorts of thoughts on this episode. (laughs) I kind of sensed that. (laughs) Eh, Well, I was going for the comedy aspect of it, but no, there are actually some serious thoughts about the episode in it. I mean, is this the first time we've learned that slavery is apparently explicitly a thing? I think, again, see the heading controversy episode order, that there's a very, very strong hint at it in Serenity. Okay, I didn't catch it as being explicit obviously it is here not only is it explicitly pointed out 
and I think that means it's legal. But not only is it explicitly no, pointed out, no. um, because the bar fight Mal gets into is another one of those morally ambiguous situations that they like to put him in. He is playing pool with a slaver, and the guy is explaining how he makes so much money transporting slaves. So Mal feels it's perfectly appropriate to lift all of his money off of him because he's morally repugnant. But so at first the same, of all, go ahead. first of all, I don't, I don't think that there is any suggestion in this that slavery is legal. Okay, so let me... And let me. I think there's a, a fairly strong suggestion later on because Inara says something about him not even getting on with other criminals, that what this is about is the kind of dishonour among thieves. Okay, so let me just point out that uh, when Kaylee gets rescued from, from the high school bitches, uh, the insult... I'm reference. Yeah, the insult that the guy throws at her is it takes hours for your slaves to put you in those clothes but only minutes for the boys to get you out of them oh yeah and in this context i suppose that could mean that she has illegal slaves but it didn't sound yeah, that way good to question me. good question <laughs> yeah okay I, I i grant you that is more ambiguous so i was kind of and and so now here's the thing i'm beginning to kind of think that maybe the network was right to pull serenity as the first episode <laughs> Because, oh, I see. Because in Serenity, right, the first thing I got up was Mal is the Confederates. I mean, that, that's just that's just it, man. They're the they're the wrong side of history. But everything we've seen since then, barring that at one episode, keeps laying on the crappy stuff on the Alliance. You know, now it looks yeah. like maybe the Alliance is the side of the slavers. I don't, um, I don't know for sure. And of course, this is so antebellum. I mean, this this whole this whole society that they're they're in here is so much pre-Civil War South. It's not even funny. And presumably, they're on the winning side. They're on the side that came out ahead. You know that. So I don't know. I don't know. But I I, I feel mounts a little better. Sure, I'm not sure we know that. No, I'm not sure we do. But I'm kind of. Let's face it. In in the in the post-Civil War South, people didn't get to live like that anymore unless they were say collaborators or going along with the carpetbaggers and the reconstructionists so it, it feels like this is the privileged class that came through the war as the privileged class and that's usually not on the losing side but again the war hasn't been that long ago so i don't know but i just i i can see it i can see it because we're just we're laying this groundwork mal does not like slavers mal does not like prostitution <laughs> Which apparently is perfectly fine on the Alliance side as well. And well that, yes, that certainly is true. And so, you know, his character as presented in every episode except the first one is a little bit better than just a criminal who is still pissed that he lost the war. So I, I kind of, I don't know, I, I can see their point. I don't know that it truly was the right thing to do. Because maybe the whole plan was to present him unsympathetically and then work your way through it so that you become sympathetic to him. That certainly was the plan. So, but I can understand why if you're putting money up and you don't want the show to tank immediately, maybe, and you're, and this is far enough back that we don't have the era of, oh, give it a few episodes chance before we cancel it. Um, I don't know. I, 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 eh. <laughs> I feel I mean, like I th- it's kind of 
at least there's a justification for making the argument for doing it the way that they did it. It may not be the right decision, but it it certainly... mm. I don't think that it's... I don't think that it's quite as straight a, 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 what's the word, analogy Mm. connecting the American Civil War to the Civil War that is described in the world of Firefly. Yes, I agree. It takes Serenity out of the mix. Everything except Serenity is presenting me more the Luke Skywalker fighting the evil empire. But in Serenity, it doesn't. And so... No, but but, uh, uh, but that's the important thing. Firefly definitely isn't Luke Skywalker versus the evil empire. That's why I think that there is... It it is important that it's not as clear-cut. It's why I think that what what you've got in that bar at the beginning isn't just our hero giving a slaver a bloody nose because he doesn't like slavers. He's going in there and looking for a fight... I mean, he's doing it deliberately. Yes, and I've seen that way. He's and he's stealing the guy's money, and so. Well, did he look for the actually, fight, or was he looking to steal money and knowing that it would lead to a fight? I think, and again, this might be me kind of projecting Mal's character, but I think he's looking for a fight because, again, it's kind of it's about violence as a form of self-expression, and there's I think there's a huge amount of of, of stuff about identity in this episode, which is really interesting. I'll, I'll come back to, but. Part, part of what he's doing there is definitely about getting... I mean, you, you say in your preamble, having getting into another bar and brawl. And obviously what we saw happening in the train shop was he was going in and deliberately provoking something. And I think part of, part of what he's doing here is the intention is to get into a fight. Part of it is to steal the money. You know, that's not mm-hmm. a side issue. He, he wants that cash. And it's almost like there's a bonus in it that he's going to be giving a slaver a bloody nose. Yes, he doesn't like slavers, but that's not why he's there. And that's why I think he's not this kind of clean-cut, square-jawed, traditional hero type. Okay, stepping outside of the the internal narrative, but in other words, looking at it from the standpoint of making the show, uh, the other thing that I noticed, and why it's the first thing I led with, is it seems to be this episode is making a point about slavery. And... This bar scene doesn't really support the story. This story could have just as easily have started with them approaching Persephone. And <laughs> I'm not saying it isn't a nice character moment or, or you know, gives us something, but it gives us the opportunity to set up the notion that there is slavery. Mal didn't like people who do it. And, you know, and, yet, and there's yet another mention of it later on. And I feel like the intent of this episode was to introduce the concept of slavery into this universe. And yep. we could argue that companionship is a form of slavery, even though it's, uh, you know, it's a contract. It's more indentured servitude almost in a way. Um, okay. Well, I, I mean, first, first of all, you're, you're right. It could have started with something else. It did. There, are, there were apparently four different versions of this opening scene before it ended up in a in a pool hall with a slaver and I think the first one was Malin and Ara walking through some woods and ends up with him uh, shooting a raccoon in the eye and that would there would have been then only just the one reference to slavery in it Um, the point of the scene apparently is is and, and I think it's reasonably effective at it is to show Inara in Mal's world because the episode is all about 
Mal in in Aura's world. Okay, fair enough. And on on the question of the contract for the companions, it seems to me that the intent in this episode is very much to demonstrate that companionship is not a form of slavery because you have the point. But I mean, at the start, Inara is choosing mm-hmm. who her client is going to be, so she's the one in control. And at the end, when Atherton Wing threatens that she'll never work again she says actually it doesn't work like that you'll never be able to contract with a companion again because you've been blacklisted oh oh, oh, okay yes i i agree that and that's why i was kind of having trouble blunting around that prostitution as a whole is often considered a a sort of uh, slavery isn't quite the right word but in other words it's it's not it's it's a profession where you get into it and seldom get out i think they're doing a contrast here because there is also the sequence where atherton is taking the position that he has paid for inara for a period of time and she's his which is indentured servitude and Uh so i you know i i I don't think it's lost that he's intentionally kind of throwing up that attitude that's ultimately what causes uh, mal to go punch him he's part of that process it's again it's back to that whole people owning people thing i'm not sure it is it it turns out it's not that way in this universe because she can actually shut him down vice versa but i I just i it felt like a parallel they were drawing there i don't think it is about people owning people i think it's about men owning women well i I consider women to be people (laughs) well i say that i'm just saying i think think you should stand down on that one Uh, (laughs) um i i to me so I mean coming back to the coming back to the identity question the thing that this episode plays with the most is that is what what gets tied up in ideas about masculinity and femininity and there are there are certain kind of masculine traits okay and th- th- this isn't about being a man it's about perception and how people this idea of being a real man um, and in, in a way this is because Mal and Inara are very much at the centre of this episode and Mal is in some way a kind of real man in the sense that he's a, a captain of a ship and he wears braces and he punches people and mm-hmm. Inara is very much a kind of real woman in the sense of she you know she's incredibly uh, accomplished and very good looking and presumably rather good in the sack or she wouldn't have the client list that she has um so there are there are these ideas about it and i think mal is very much someone who is concerned with these things but in a slightly more thoughtful way and i i can kind of find this engagement with the notion of machismo quite interesting so as we've said he's a he's a violent man mm-hmm. but he's also got there's this whole question of honor right because there's the kid who who's got up in this sort of 17th century costume who talks about if Inara were to select him it would be a great honour to his honour honour uh, before you know and she's and she she, she just dismisses that she, she's not very but Mal thinks that he is defending Inara's honour and mm-hmm. he doesn't run away from this fight in particular because he sees it as the right thing to do to fight this man who has in, it, insulted Inara or whatever. Mm-hmm. As she points out to him, and as you say in the introduction, he simultaneously is extremely nasty to her, but he's having problems because 
because of what she does and the idea of what she does and it doesn't fit with his 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 notion of being the the kind of I'm trying I'm trying to avoid alpha male but okay alpha male we're talking about Atherton here uh, no, I'm talking, talking about, about Mal. Mal. Okay. There are a lot of similarities, I think, okay. between the way that Atherton thinks and Mal thinks. Mm-hmm. He claims, Mal claims, that um, he punched Atherton because he insulted Inara, because he implied that she was a whore. As Inara says, Mal says she is a whore. All the time. Repeatedly. <laughs> and so, in a way, it's more, it seems more like he punched Atherton because Atherton took Inara away from him, quite literally, during that dance, when he wanted to be with Inara. So it's it's just like a dogfight in that respect. I, I agree. I, I mean, I do think that there's probably something to the fact that Mal does not respect the profession, but does respect the person. But I'm not sure he does respect the person. It's what he says. It's, it's what ha- he says. It's what he says, yeah. But, but what he doesn't seem to respect is Inara's right to make her own choices agency essentially his the the kind of effect of his machismo on her is to diminish her autonomy and i think there are other indicators in the episode that 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 mal is having problems with ideas about femininity like the dress say well yeah saying that kaylee would look like a sheep walking on its hind legs and again i think this is tied up with identity and it's quite a nice um way in albeit a sort of very 2002 concept of a woman who is a mechanic and who dresses like a mechanic obviously because that's her job but shouldn't be pigeonholed in terms of how she sees her own femininity if you like Mm. because that's what's going on in that scene in my opinion she's she's looking at the dresses and seeing herself in them and Mal thinks the idea is ridiculous because he just sees this kind of oil-stained uh, <clears throat> I think member. that's only part of it. I mean, he doesn't start getting snarky nasty until she starts pointing out, uh, you know, how much she envies Inara's clothes or how great Inara's wardrobe is. And the more she brings up things Inara has as part of her job, the worse Mal gets. Agreed. So yeah. I, I feel that she, he's... Part of it sticking not intentionally obviously but that she's just poking the bear there and uh, to compare kaylee's as you say she wears clothes like an engineer because she is an engineer and she wants to be like inara and mal has no respect for being a whore but he does have respect for being an engineer so Kaylee is basically betraying <laughs> the, the the notions that Mal has about right and wrong and and good and evil and in in this world too. So I mean, well, but no, he's, I mean, he's ridiculously I, I awful to, that to her. <laughs> I I I I think I, I I agree with you that part of his part of his issue is that she's talking about Inara and that that is needling him. But I don't think that it's because she wants to dress like a whore. Because she doesn't want no, to dress she does. like her. She wants to dress like a an elegant, stylish woman, which Inara also is. Yes. And, you know, re- it, it's not her thing. You you look at her at the ball, um, both Ma- both her and Mal, when they enter, and compared to the way Inara just slides into it effortlessly because it's her scene, and, and both Mal and Kaylee 
look very out of place. They do look like the Beverly Hillbillies all slicked up and... Exactly. And, Ke- and Kaylee makes a beeline for the buffet and then ends up in the corner with all the boys talking about engines. But at the same time, that's not the point. That's not the point. If if Mal respected her, it wouldn't matter whether or not she had Inara's style or whether the dress suited her or any of that. The fact is, it's what she wants to do and she has a nice time doing it. And as she, And as she says, up until the punching... It was a real nice party. <laughs> that seems like the kind of line she'd use anywhere. It was a real nice bar up until the punching. It was a nice <laughs> well, game yeah. of pool up until the punching. <laughs> I can see that's probably a line people use on a regular basis about Mal. Yes. <laughs> yes. But so, it, I mean, it, 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 because it is a, it's an interesting moment when he does lay the guy out. Because on the one hand, it does spoil Kaylee's party and... It it obviously is a, is the wrong thing to do because Mal doesn't know what he's doing and gets himself into a pickle because it's it's not what he should do although Inara does actually in the end seem to be slightly impressed by it and it spoils Kaylee's fun and all the rest of it. On the other hand, impressive though the the um, the dancing and the rest of it is, it gets even more fun when we start <laughs> we start having a bit of a, a Barney at the shindig so. Mm. I'll ask this question then, because you're you're right. Inara does seem to be sort of, I don't know what the word is, but she sort of seems to appreciate kind of the gesture that Mal made. Yes. And that probably is the most disturbing bit of this episode to me. Why? Because as you say, he's, he's imposing his alpha male style decisions on her behavior by doing that she's like i don't know I don't, oh yeah yeah and she's like yeah right, but, you know, he's doing it from a good place in his heart but he's still being a judgmental <laughs> jerk about it and and so it, you know it's another one of those and i hate to tie it to you know zeitgeist of the day or the me too moment or whatever but this is the kind of thing that leads this is the kind of media that can lead people, kids growing up, to think that, you know, sure, it's the wrong thing to do to go out and punch people on behalf of a woman, but, but she'll appreciate it in the end. And that's not right. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's mm. fundamentally mm. wrong here. This is probably my biggest complaint about Anara is that she seems to like having Mal ape over. She's obviously got a thing for her, for him. Yeah. And okay. So uh, people do, do stupid things in because love. Because you're... You're worried about the kids watching this. And Inara sleeps with men for money. That's true. And women. Yes. In fact. So I'm not quite sure that anyone is going to take her as a role model in that respect. No, no, and no. I, and just... I, also, I also think it's pretty clear that she's impressed by the gesture, as you put it. She, it, it would not have been in any way the same thing in any shape or form had Mal actually been remotely competent in the execution of it because I, th- I think the whole point about it leads up to this duel in which traditionally okay because i mean we're coming back to this this question that we started talking about of the hero and whether whether mal is the kind of good guy with the principles the anti-slavery the square jaw the fighting for truth and justice or whether he is someone who has just got himself into a, a sword fight that he can't possibly win but he's still behaving in this kind of absurd 
cocksure, overconfident way, which again, I'm going to argue is a masculine trait. And the thing about it is he doesn't even realise how incompetent he is. Mm -hmm. He doesn't realise, they say, he's being toyed with and he thinks he's winning. I agree that it is an interesting outcome to this as just how incompetent he turns out to be at this sword fight. I mean, that that is not the trope that usually turns up in these kinds of things. Absolutely not. And he wins. Is it cheating? I mean, he didn't. He didn't. Not really. Ask Yanara to interrupt the fight in the middle of it. But at the moment when she does, he seizes that. It, it, it's dodgy at the very best. From it, it, it's, I'm sure it's not Queensbury rules if there are <laughs> Queensbury rules for uh, for sword fighting. But on Persephone. And is that um, is that why he didn't kill him? Is what why he didn't kill him? Because Be- he had because, because he won because he he got beat and he knows he got beat. I um, don't think so. Because I don't think he. I, I certainly don't think he did not kill the guy because he knew that would be a horrible, dishonorable black mark of a coward uh, on Atherton, which makes no sense whatsoever. Because how can the guy not killing you be a black mark that you're a coward? play out but okay notwithstanding i don't think he was doing that because he knew that was like the worst insult he could do i think he was not going to kill him because he wasn't going to kill him for whatever his reasons were and then it just then they go oh and by the way that's just the worst thing you could do and he goes oh well okay then that's even better but i (laughs) you know i i yeah, I think that that's absolutely what I got. But it, the the question, I mean, we had all of this with Doctor Who. What is a what is a good man? The question does come up in that scene where he says, "I'm a something like I'm a good man, not not a great man, or whatever the line is." Yeah, he's he's considering the the question of what would be the kind of honourable or heroic act in the situation. But he's by whatever measure you take definitely falling a long way short of it mm. because if nothing else i mean what as as uh jane spenson the, the writer says in the, in the commentary where else would you have a tv hero who wounds the guy when he's down uh, well nowadays more often than than in the olden times well absolutely well this was this was the olden times yeah. this was the this end was of the way olden back times, yeah. way back in the early 21st century <laughs> yeah i know it, it's it's true i mean it is a turn um, it is a, it is a turn um, from what would have been the standard on a hero. So I you know, I can still I can see why absolutely see why the the network is a bit nervous about the character Mal. Absolutely, he oh, is, yeah. he yeah, is yeah. not conforming to the hero standard. And and, yeah. and that 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 is. But I think that's what's interesting about Mal in the sense that this episode isn't just taking some of these kind of concepts of what it means to be a man or a woman or whatever and kind of play playing them up by caricaturing them instead what you've got is uh, in mal you've got a character who is capable of reflection even if sometimes he's fairly impulsive and boneheaded do you think that that um there is a intentional oh i'm gonna get on my military bashing stuff here the fact that mal is a sergeant that's not very high up the chain true you know that is that is still grunt level leader of men and and i'm not picking on sergeants i'm just pointing out that you know we're supposed to think of officers as the 
tacticians, the smart people, the and then down the line, the, the lower you get down the line, the less thinking you do. Sergeant's not very high up on the thinking scale in the military. And I, I wonder if that's why they intentionally picked that. It's like he can lead men, but he shouldn't be running your campaign. Well, maybe. But on the other hand, if you look at the way certain campaigns were executed by the officer class. Yes. <laughs> First World War. <coughs> yeah. The, the, and, and, you know, tr- traditionally in the, in the kind of portrayal of the military as leaders of men, so as in inspiring the frontline troops, you, you see, I just can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head, but you see um, sergeants often being portrayed as being kind of very... Uh, beloved is is quite the right word, but inspiring great loyalty Hmm. amongst the privates or whoever under their command in a way that you wouldn't find them sitting in their trenches going, oh, that general so-and-so, absolutely top-hole chap. I'm glad he's ordered us us out uh, to charge across no man's land at the machine guns tomorrow. Right, you follow a sergeant into battle, but but you don't necessarily want the sergeant... To be making the battle plan, I think that's the idea there. That's. I, I that's mean, I know, the, I know the, that World the War theory. One in particular. That's the theory. <laughs> but whether anyone would actually agree, you know, that in that that may be the idea in general, but in particular, would it be better if the sergeant of my company, for example, were swapped with the general who's making all of the kind of strategic decisions? A lot of people go actually, you know, yet yeah, Sarge is a fount of common sense. He should, he, he knows what's what. He should be the one doing this, and uh, General So and So, you know, send it, give him a week on the front line. You'll soon learn why he's an idiot, kind of thing. Hmm. 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 It could be a different perception between American and British military too. There's always that possibility. There is always uh, that. Possibility. I, I, you know, Certainly. I'm trying to trying to think back to like Doctor Who episodes that would have sergeants in them. Hmm. Yeah, not. I mean, not talking the other, Benton, the but... other, the other trope with the military is you have the the kind of sergeant as the boneheaded sadist who makes the life of that's more the, the American recruit, style. Yeah, an absolute misery. And but certainly from my Shouty. from my British British perspective, interpreting this American show, my impression is that the reason that Mal has been given the rank of sergeant is because it is important that he's a leader of men, and that's the kind of lowest you could be but he's it it puts him closer to the people he's commanding and also it demonstrates the fact that he's not perhaps someone who is very good at climbing the greasy pole Mm. that's true that's true um so uh, switching gear just a little bit are is this episode trying to draw a line about a difference between what's legal and what's moral and for example um, throughout the course of the entire, well, we have, if slavery is legal, we would argue that slavery is not moral. Prostitution is legal, and many would argue that prostitution is not moral. Certainly Mal would. Um, the guy who Mal conducts the smuggling deal throughout the entire thing, we have no idea what it is that Mal's going to be smuggling. Is it, <laughs> is it drugs? Is it guns? Is it contraband? Is it, you know, what is it? It turns out to be cattle to market. Which seems like the most benign of things that he can be, quote unquote, smuggling out there. Although how he's going to fit those in the smugglers compartments of his ship if he gets boarded, I don't know. But, you know, so 
are, is it again we're putting this in the topsy-turvy world that the alliance runs that, that the things that are illegal are things like shipping your cows out are we supposed to believe that the that the baron baron i think is you know just an honest businessman or is he a grubber who's trying to get out of paying his fair due of taxes and uh contributing to society i couldn't couldn't get that either but i just felt like the reveal at the very end that we were just talking about cows was meant to tell us something too about this that well he i mean there's no doubt about it he is he's smuggling them mm-hmm. absolutely right. so one way one way or another the guy isn't on the level it's just we've had two whole episodes without any horses in it <laughs> give, us, give us a cow at least i take the cows cows are useful <laughs> And go out and feed people. We're, you know, I can, I can, I can get with that one. Um, but it just, yes, that just that that crossed my mind at the end. It's like, oh yeah, see, now we've been talking about all the things that are wrong but are legal, and here's one that probably ought to be legal. But is, but isn't this, you know, in the world of the in the world of the Western, the question of legality and morality is a little bit loose, I guess, because the the sheriff is is the law the kind of mm-hmm. it it's very local isn't it so the idea you know it's not at all clear to me from seeing this episode that dueling is something that the alliance allows it's something that mal's not familiar with because he gets bounced into he's surprised it seems to be more of a local custom but obviously there is no if there if there is an official prohibition on it that is not enforced and it's, that's maybe why I wonder whether s- s- slavery might be going on on Persephone, even if it were against alliance law. It might be going on in such a way that everyone knew about it. Could be. And I, I can't tell from the show. It's just, like I say, it seems like it's a concept that was inserted here. And if, if it was implied earlier in Serenity, I didn't pick up on it. But it seemed to have a place here. And Persephone did seem to have an awful lot of parallels to the South, the dueling, the the clothes, well, the, the, the balls. I mean, the, it, it had a very, like I said, okay, I don't, feel I don't, to it. I don't know so much about where, I don't know so much about where um, the the kind of, the, the history of the American South and where mm-hmm. those things might come from, but I can see where they might come from in English history. Mm-hmm. And the ball is Jane Austen. I mean, come on. Yeah, yes, there is something to. I think there's something to the fact that well, it's 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 Jane Austen ball with um with the the rotors from Matt Smith's second Tardis, the Michael Pickwood, <laughs> the late Michael Pickwood designed Tardis, up above it, and and uh, a little bit of of Heather's in there. It 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 smacks of Gone with the Wind to me. Maybe it's Kaylee's dress, yeah. but that is the, that's the, I mean, I, I totally get the, I totally get the Jane Austen reference and the, and you're right. And they had balls and cotillions in the North of the United States too. And, you know, still probably do. And I mean, it's a thing that's always happened. It's just something about it. You know, walk into it. Maybe it's the whole setting here. It just says, here we go. We're walking into Tara and we're having a big cotillion and (laughs) just it 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 has that feel and persephone to me feels like kansas city 
which is kind of not the South and kind of is the South. Um, you know that there was there was a saying a long time ago: everything's up to date in Kansas City, and Kansas City's about dead. You know, may may not know the geography of the United States. It's about dead center of the United States, uh, sitting on the Mississippi River, and or is it on the Missouri River? Um, it's on one of the big rivers. It's on the Missouri River, actually, and um, uh, it's, it's where most of the cattle drives went. So when you're bringing in all the cattle from out west and down south and whatnot, they went there and then they went on to Chicago and then they and they packed on. And so even though it was kind of a western town, it was you could find the shops and you could get the clothes and the dresses and the but it was still kind of a dirty frontier town. That's exactly what Persephone looked like in my mind. It's like, okay, this is the this is as big as the big cities get on uh in the frontier kind of thing that the, the crossroads basically is what that was and which has a southern flavor to it even if it's not technically in the south so that may that may have part of it to do it to me it's just just everything there kind of just is evoking these pre and post in some cases war civil war imaging imagery of that so i guess you bring to it you bring well, to it, it what it, you're familiar with yes so. and and i and i think that's probably true of the set and costume designers and and everyone who put this together in the sense that it really is a bit of a fusion mm-hmm. uh, speaking of which their chinese is terrible <laughs> their chinese mean, is terrible don't tell me they translated incorrectly the management takes no responsibility for ball failure oh no 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 it's just every once in a while i slip chinese words in there and half the time ah half the time i can't understand what they're saying and i'm not saying i speak mandarin chinese that well by any stretch of the imagination, but only occasionally when they'll say something, it'll just it'll click, and I'll go, "Oh, I know what word he's saying." Uh, you know, on the first on the first go through, pigu. I'm just gonna put out there. Um, I think Badger called it a pigu. It's your butt on that. <laughs> My kids use that all the time. So, um, but yeah, they're but the rest of their Chinese is like if I handed it to someone who's never seen Chinese before and I said, "Here, say that word." That's what it sounds like. So you're saying that that. The pronunciation is not... I don't even think my wife okay. recognises it as Chinese sometimes. I mean, in a way, you can justify it on the basis that... Sure. Drift. It has been corrupt. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. That's, I don't I suppose... know if that's that clever, <laughs> but... Uh, well, no, I, no, because I know the cast obviously had to put a lot of effort into learning the correct pronunciation and may not have been Nailed able it. to progress with that as far as they... They like, but I, I suppose if we're talking about accents, mm. we probably ought to, we ought to um, commend Summer Glau's Cockney. I, I have that here on the list. I, it, it not just Only her... a tiny bit Australian. <laughs> I couldn't tell, right? But then I can't tell if Badger's accent is accurate either. I'm, I would be astonished if he wasn't British. Okay. He looks British. So, I mean, he's, he's kind well, of... he's wearing look. a bowler hat. I yeah. mean, there's no he's, bigger he's giveaway. He's got the bowler. Um... But uh, it's the beady eyes. It's very good. It, his is very good and so flawless that if he was American, I would just be astonished. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, why not hire a British actor if you need a British part? I'm fine with that. Well, it seems not, like it doesn't a, even need to be a British part, right? So the 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 reason I wanted to bring it up was not necessarily in, in, fact, that in she... fact on the commentary, Jane Spencer said that. That was, uh, Joss Whedon wrote the part because it, the character appears in Serenity and he intended to play it himself. Really? I don't know why he didn't. Is he like a little actor dude or is he just like to do his Hitchcock thing or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I mean, it's jo- I don't know. Does jo- is Joss Whedon have any acting skills? Or I mean, I, I, I believe I believe he does appear. Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, we know Hitchcock likes to show up in his what. pictures. No, I th- no, I think I think it's more than the kind of cameo appearances. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, what I wanted to bring up about her appearance was: is this the first time she's been perceptive enough to be competent to do something? It's certainly the first time we have seen and so bearing in mind that under controversy order episodes you will note that this is one that was held back so between bushwhacked and shindig there were another three episodes aired in in airing order Um, and this one still came before serenity this one this one came before serenity was aired because all of them came before serenity was aired if they were aired if they were aired on fox fox aired serenity last um but this is this is certainly the first time we've heard her do such things as whole sentences. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and that was I, I'm pretty I'm impressive. Still wondering where we're going with her, with her character. Um, don't Aunt, don't tell me that. But I, I'm I wouldn't dream of it. I'm I'm getting the impression, and I don't think this is just me reading into it. Obviously, she's really bright, and which is why she <laughs> that, was taken. That has been mentioned. That has been mentioned, which is why she was taken by the alliance. And that it sounds like the Alliance was doing something, um, let's say, psychor on her, uh, trying to turn her into something, psychic, telepath, uh, something, some sort of a weapon, some sort of a tool, some sort of a, a resource in their in their evil we've, we've mad seen, sciences. Wait, we've, we've seen, seen hints of things that. on on screen that have definitely pointed in that direction. So my question is: Is this part of that? Let's call it the weaponizing of of River. She has stepped into a situation and rightly figured out enough to extract herself from it through imitating an accent, which I'm not even sure she would know to do if she weren't kind of reading minds, maybe? I'm not sure. Well, she's certainly, she's certainly, she's doing more than imitating his accent. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that. When she's talking about secrets, she's whether psychically or whether by making a very very quick character study of him she's kind of as it were poking at his defenses because because he's obviously slightly shaken up in the sense that he he's he's what my impression from the scene is he's worried that she knows more and he doesn't particularly want her saying anything more in front of everyone else. Is that because he thinks she knows more because her accent places her from wherever he came from? I th- I think it's because because she's imitating him and she's quite perceptive in her reading of him. No, I mean for his scare, for his his fear. Is yeah, that yeah. what makes it convincing to him? Like, oh, she's maybe from. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he thinks from my hometown that. or wherever. I'm. I'm not sure that she th- that he thinks that. I Cockney think it's Bill. more that he. It's more that he thinks she's got a handle on him. Mm. Okay, and uh, also, also, yeah. it's her confidence. Yeah, she's. I, I, I think throws him. You know that, and the the kind of throwaway line at the end. He obviously doesn't know how to react to that before he decides he's going to say he likes her. You know, laugh laugh it off. But it's mm. it's it's she gives him a put down. He's obviously the chief bandit in his little pack and he's got to be careful about losing face so how does he react fair enough uh let's see got three more things here and just out of curiosity if a companion takes a permanent companion contract which 
still sounds like indentured servitude. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you know what happens uh, when they get old and ugly? I mean, <clears throat> how can they break these contracts? What happens if Do they have a retirement not program? Permanent? Or is it just the money you racked in over the years that 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 is your retirement plan? That that was that was that was one of those things. And I'm assuming that this has some parallel to you know, concubines in the east because this this feels like this whole concubine or this whole companion process sounds more like geishas or yes. imperial concubines uh, in 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 China and Japan. And since they've gone a long way to interject a fair amount of Asian fusion into the story, I assume that that's where this comes from. Um, I don't know what they I do with that. I think that's a safe bet. Um, but that that crossed my mind when he again when he asked her to be his permanent you know companion and I I think that's probably what set on my mind the whole the first step that set in my mind the whole thing is like we're talking about a form of indentured servitude here <clears throat> and then later on when he explicitly said I paid for you and you're you're mine you know that just drove it home so that, that's probably the two things and the other thing that I'm just gonna ask because we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this probably time and time again in this series with my complaints about how the technology is thought through the pool table or the billiards table or you want to call it with holographic balls are they are they non-existent balls that are just light or are they made manifest real so that you can actually play pool or or is it all light and the cue stick has haptic feedback so that when you I, knock the yeah, ball I'm you, assuming it. I'm assuming it's light with haptic feedback. You so could do that now, right? Uh, with an Apple Watch, yeah, maybe. I, uh, <laughs> it's getting there. It, I mean, it's maybe. But I would have, I don't know. It, 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 again, it seems like, one, does that really make sense for a way to play pool? It would be like having light holographic darts. I mean, how do you hold them? How do you that throw them? How cool. do you get the, <laughs> how do you, you know, get the feel of it? To just when you're playing pool, you have to be able to get the feel of it. Um, but you do get the feel of it because you've got you've got a, a, a cue that isn't light, so that's got that's got the weight in it, and it gives you the the reaction. Perhaps I, I that's what I'm asking. But then, is that really the best use of high technology when a pool table itself would probably be just as fine and a lot cheaper? Well, would, but would it be a lot cheaper? I mean, would you be able to get hold of the 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 slate and the felt and whatever else you might need to make they a really high quality table. But they already had that, it looked like. I mean, oh, the, but the might, table might, didn't it disappear. Might, it might all be made of painted plywood. It might it might be a really cheap table where the balls behave as they would on a, on a really pricey table because they're computer controlled rather than having to be real. And then there's the maintenance, you know, basically zero maintenance. On a pool Except table. Obviously, <laughs> the, ball, the ball failure keeps... Oh, good, well, yeah. Pool tables are always pub pool. Ta- I mean, I assume you assume you have them like ours, where you know the the surfaces are felt and and yeah. they get ripped and stuff get stuff gets lodged in the the pockets. Everything gets there's the kind of return or whatever. You've got to make sure that the coin delivery system works and all the rest. I don't know. All of that may be true on this. I mean, you'll have an electronic way of paying. They can those cues can still rip the felt. Um, they're, not they're, not if it's paint not if it's green painted plywood. Well, I mean the, the felt the fe- whatever the surface is could be completely indestructible because it doesn't need to. If you put a real ball on it, the thing could just 
stop. Also, the, the know, balls need fade out of existence while you're playing. Yeah, well, obviously, there is some maintenance. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm just picturing this thing. You're in this bar. But there's transport as well. There's transport. I mean, it's a really, really heavy thing, whereas the, the projector could be relatively light. It's in, in the same way that Possibly. the kind of relative, relative cost now. You know, think of a, a, a big screen, old-style a CRT television and you'd have gone oh my goodness a projector would cost a fortune in comparison whereas now think well projectors are two a penny and if I want to move one around it's really no effort at all whereas if I wanted to to shift a TV screen that was sort of more than 30 inches that was using old CRT technology I'd have to hire a van to move it Perhaps, perhaps. I, it just you know I'm just picturing the horse hitched up to the post outside that bar and it's just like the one that had the electronic windows. It just doesn't... The, the collapse of yeah, society I'm still not doesn't sure about, work. I'm, still, I'm not sure about the electronic windows, but I don't see how you can have this both ways. You're complaining about horses because they're old technology, and you're complaining about the pool table because it's new technology. Whereas actually what, what in effect happens with technology is new technology gets introduced there's the, the kind of hype cycle of adoption goes on or whatever but in the end what people fall back on is whatever is cheapest and best suited to the to the job and that could be some that could be some very old technology and it varies according to particular circumstances and you know the economics of the materials and labor needed to create the thing. It's so, possible. I'd like this again. I'd like to see more of understanding why they pick these these I, pieces. I bet, in. I bet if you're really keen on it, you'll find someone's written a book on the technology of the world of Firefly. There probably is, but I will not watch it. I will not look at it. I will not search for it until after we are done. Well, that's wise. Series. That's wise. You don't want don't want to find out there's some. That's right. Exciting want... electronic ping pong table that it takes that has some pivotal purpose in the finale or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you one spoiler. There isn't a, an electronic ping, ping pong, pong table, table in the finale. That, that's a shame. Okay, but I'm not saying anything else. I have one other thing. I'll just uh, I'll just read it off here uh, since this is an area where you have not encountered. This one had a different narration than the last two. Mm. So this time Mal is giving the narration. It's a slightly changed version. So instead of book, it's Mal. And what he says, and I, this is somebody else transcribed this. So if it's somebody out there is listening to this and says, no, that's not what Mal says. This is the apparently first of two different variations that Mal has on these. So here's how it is. Earth got used up. So he terraformed a whole new galaxy of Earth's. Some rich and flush with the new technologies, some not so much. Central planets, them was formed the Alliance, waged war to bring everyone under their rule. A few idiots tried to fight it, among them myself. I'm Malcolm Reynolds, captain of the Serenity. Got a good crew, fighters, pilot, mechanic. We even picked up a preacher and a bona fide companion. There's a doctor, too. Took his genius sister out of some Alliance camp. So they're keeping a low profile. You got a job? We can do it. Don't much care what it is. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> it is, and I do not like... I mean, of course, he has a bit of a country drawl. I may have been accentuating it there. <laughs> but just the use of the phrase, Central Planet, them was formed the Alliance. Oh, I hate 
Damn. Oh, well, no, that's the least worst thing about it. <laughs> it's like, I, that terminology, that way of using the English language bugs me. That's very South. Them what's, that's the other phrase they use. It. Them what's done this. Uh-uh. But yes, it's also got that whole galaxy of plant of earths and anyway just so that you uh, hear it and when we get along to the third uh variation which i think what's our next episode safe yes i think it's safe um, but bear in mind that the narration was got another new was one. written for the episodes that were the, the episodes as they were aired on fox not for the dvd releases in the correct order that's correct so you've got to You've got the narration there for episode six. I've got the ep- episode for narration Shindig, so by name. Yeah, but but it but it but in aired order that's episode six. Whereas the the narration for the the narration you previously heard on the train job and bushwhack they were aired first and second. Yeah. So that that narration may then have been used on the third, fourth, and fifth episodes. And it, it, so sa- safe safe was aired straight after Shindig. There you go. What's O-O-G? Out of Gas. Okay. So that one aired before this one? Or he's got it listed before it, this one? I don't know. It, that, that one aired immediately before this one. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the initials. The book narration was used for TTJ, The Train Job, B.W. Bushwag, O.M.R. Our Mrs. Reynolds. J.T. Jamestown. And then they switched out, to out Mal Narration 1 for oh. O.O.G. Okay. Shindig. And then they switched to Malnarration 2 for Safe and Ariel, and then no narration after that. Well, the only other episodes that were aired were War Stories, Object in Space. Yep, those are the other And then two. Serenity, and Serenity. last. So those three. Yeah. And, uh, and then apparently, for the UK airing of HOG, they had the second Mal one, and no narration on TM and Trash, whatever those are. The message and trash, because the, the, the three episodes that weren't aired on Fox got their first airing over this side of the pond. So you got one of the narrations. Well, maybe I when it aired on TV, you got narration and they put it on DVD and took it back off. So, Yeah, well, the, I've, obviously, I, I didn't see it on TV when it aired over here. And mm-hmm. clearly, in my opinion, the way to see this is get it on DVD or on Blu-ray and you won't be troubled by the narration and everything will be in the right order. Hurrah. <laughs> Might be the right order. It's arguable. It's arguable. Anyway. <laughs> well, All right. not like the prisoner is arguable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Anyhow, I uh, I don't have anything else in this episode. I'm just going to note that, and I, I'm going to apologise for the terminology here, but I can't think of better words, but Jaina Spenson is, I believe, the only writer to have written for the Hooniverse and the Whedonverse, unless I have um, he, missed someone. Did he write something for Big Finish? No, no, this is this is for television. Oh, don't recognize the name. Is it new this year? The what the the episode the, the writer's name Jane yeah. Spenson. She's well, she's she wrote a lot of Buffy stuff, which yeah. I haven't seen because I haven't seen Buffy and some new Battlestar Galactica stuff, mm-hmm. and about half of Torchwood Miracle Day. Um, oh, okay. Some of which she wrote with Russell T. Davis. Oh, you're counting counting Torchwood as the Hooniverse. Okay. Yes, <laughs> that was why I had to use that term. See. Ah, yes. Oh, okay. I've, the, I've, the other thing I sort of mentioned um, because it's you know something that's coming up through the through the watch through is looking at uh, Jane and because mm-hmm. well, in fact, we haven't really mentioned the other characters at all because I think the, there is there are some some good scenes. Um, with Wash in this one. Yeah. 
particularly at the at the start where they're all on deck looking at the the sun coming around the planet and it's all looking beautiful and then as they start to plummet towards the planet rather fast and you kind of feel a bit less confident that Wash knows what he's doing. Mal walks off the bridge, mm-hmm. which I think, again, is a really nice moment in terms of how he how he manages his crew, which is just like when when there's something, when there's some difficult piloting to be done, he just leaves it to Wash. Yeah. Tell me when you, and, tell me if it happens. Walks off. Yeah. 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 And and obviously, you know, Wash does sort it all out, but it, it it's, it's 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 a nice reversal from the usual thing of the captain would rush on deck and and try to save the day. Yeah, by you have being to. commanding yeah. and and so forth. Um, but the, the and there's the, there's the scene where um, Zoe and Wash are in bed, and they're talking about what happens if Zoe falls asleep. Mm-hmm. In terms of so it's the question of Jane, in that um, he will slit her throat and take over. Which again, I thought, you know, we've we've been discussing the power dynamic going mm-hmm. on there. So, quite an interesting one. Yeah, it's the the characters did get largely sidelined in this, but episode. they had nice moments. They did have nice had, moments, but yeah, they were, you know, only and Jane. Jane, I mean, again, when we've got because we had this contrast of saying, you know, in terms of Mal's uh, the the kind of way in which Mal perceives his own masculine self-image being a little bit more complicated. Jane is operating on one level. So when when Mal makes the comment about Kaylee looking like sheep walking on his on its hind legs, and she gets that look like a puppy that's just been kicked and walks off. Jane is like, is she upset about something? Yeah. And he's he's not terribly sensitive. He's not terribly sensitive, but Adam Baldwin is is really getting a lot out of the character i think and and similarly when when they're plotting you know the badger tea party on the ship and he's pouring the coffee and whispering in people's ears that it it, i i again i think all that stuff's really good i don't i don't disagree i don't disagree they were they were um he's good at that job i mean it's something i think i hadn't appreciated we've talked about the things you notice when you're watching in order to discuss you know and I think it's something I hadn't appreciated before is how how much Adam Baldwin gets out of the character of Jane. And there are episodes where there will be a lot more of him in it, but um, but it, it, it's quite enjoyable. Hmm. Well, if that's uh, that's if all that's I've all got, it, then, then let's leave it at there. And I think we already established next time it's safe, safe, safe. All right, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.